It's a great opportunity to be with you and study God's Word together. Uh, I am going to read for my scripture lesson this morning from Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 37 and reading through verse 52. So, let's give our attention then to the reading of God's Word. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before the dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms the things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers asked him, answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses that you also consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation." From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. This is the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you that we can come and ask you for help. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit takes the word which we've read and heard and brings it to our hearts. And we pray that he would do that this morning. That all the things that we see and hear, Father, would become clear from what you have intended for us to see and hear this morning. We thank you for the pastors here at this church, the leaders. We pray for each one. We pray especially for Dave. We ask that you bless him today and give him rest. Give him help as he studies your word and preparation for service, serving this congregation. We bring all these things to you, Father, in the most holy and precious name of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when you look at the Gospels, and we come to a passage like this one in Luke, where Jesus is criticizing the, the religious members, the, the very religious members of his society. 
You remember Jesus had his harshest criticism for the scribes, for the Pharisees, and for the, he calls them the lawyers here. We, they weren't really lawyers in the sense that we think of it today, but they are, what they were were theological um, theological lawyers, very, very pre- precise, getting down um, and taking everything about the law of God and figuring out every possible implication of it and every possible way that you could obey it and every possible way that you could disobey it. Uh, it's somebody said it would be the Mishnah and other books where all these laws were written down. It's almost like, uh, one commentator said, it's almost like the IRS wrote a book on obedience to God. Or if you've ever seen a copy of uh, of the federal budget, you know, how many great big things like, packets like that it would be, you know, if you just put the whole federal budget up on a table and it would take up so much space because of all the books. It's almost exactly like that, that there were so many implications to the law. That's what they were all about. So who's Jesus criticizing? Jesus is criticizing the legalists, the people who were going to that extent to obey the law and understanding what it is to break it. And then the scribes who were very much at writing it down and then also the Pharisees. Now, of course, the most famous Pharisee we think about is, of course, uh, St. Paul. Because Paul was one of those guys that was following every bit of the law as much as he could in every way possible. So, these are the people, though, that Jesus is criticizing. Six times in here, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to the lawyers. In other words, alas, I'm sorry for you because you are so much at odds with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of what God intended. These people were following Jesus around. The scribes, the Pharisees, the legalists, the theologians who were cutting down the very strictest of the strict matters of the law. They were all following Jesus because, you see, they were angry at him. Because he didn't do the things that they did. He didn't act like they did. And what they were trying to do was to figure out something against him, something that would stand up in court. So what they were trying to do was to listen to everything he said and watch everything he did so that what they could use, they could take some of that material and charge it against him charge him of guilt or of heresy or of doing something that they could get him get rid of him their whole intention is to get rid of Jesus so now you've got the background of Luke chapter 11 and you see that a certain Pharisee had been watching him and eventually this Pharisee has been listening to Jesus and watching him and wants to invite him over to his house for a meal Now, Jesus is, uh, you'll see in verse 29, when Jesus starts to criticize uh, the people, he, he says, the crowds are increasing around him. And not only were the ordinary people there in the crowds, but the people that wanted to get something against Jesus. And Jesus says, this generation 
is a wicked generation because it seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. The religious leaders were looking for something to get after Jesus because what had he done? He just called them wicked. And can you imagine what that was like for a Pharisee? The Pharisee was the orthodox of the orthodox. The Pharisee was the one that kept every bit of the law. The Pharisee was the one that thought that obedience to the law was everything. That's how he was going to come before God was by being perfectly obedient in every way. And yet Jesus just called him wicked. No wonder they hated him. No wonder they wanted to get rid of him. In verse 40, he looked at them and he said, you foolish ones. And then six times he said to them, uh, he said to them over and over again, woe to you Pharisees, to you legalists, to you lawyers. All of this was spoken at the home of a Pharisee that had invited Jesus for a special meal. And when Jesus had gone, you know, you would think in one way that Jesus would tone it down. You would think, wouldn't he? When he went to the house of a Pharisee, he knew what this guy was like. You think he would tone it down. He would come in and he would say the least offensive thing he could say. But you know, Jesus is not doing this at all. So today I want us to look at the focus of these religious people and where we should be focusing. We want to see what their focus was and what Jesus says we should really be focusing on. If you look at the 12th chapter of Luke, just a few verses over from what we read at the very first verse, it says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, First, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus starts off, doesn't he? He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees because it's hypocrisy. The leaven of the Pharisees wasn't bread. Jesus wasn't talking about bread, was he? What does leaven do? Leaven was what made your bread rise. Leaven was what took your bread from just that bunch of dough and it raised it up and then you could cook it. Leaven was what made the bread rise. It was the teaching of the Pharisees. And that teaching of the Pharisees, which was hypocrisy, filled everything that the Pharisees did. The leaven of the, of the Pharisees was the hypocrisy that filled their lives and filled their teaching. So that no matter what they told you, they, it was all based on their hypocrisy because they didn't follow what they told the people to do. And it's just like somebody has said, don't do what I do, do what I say. That was their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy was their cardinal sin. In Luke eleven thirty seven, to the end of this chapter, Jesus shows that the focus of their lives he showed that what the focus of their lives was, and he shows by example, he shows by example some of the things that they're doing wrong. And let me just read again for you, Luke eleven thirty seven to 40. Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at table. 
And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside you're full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? When Jesus came over to the meal before all the Pharisees, what they would do before they even ate was what the Pharisees would do, would go, they would go through an elaborate hand-washing ceremony. And I don't mean just sticking their hands under there, washing with soap and doing it, drying off. What they had was they had to take several pours from a bowl or from a pitcher and they had to pour at certain angles below the wrist and above the wrist. And they said that if you poured below the wrist and then above the wrist, but any of the water dripped down back on the hand, then you remained unclean. You weren't ceremonially clean and you weren't fit to eat that meal. And see, that's only part of the ceremony. It must have taken them a long time to do this. Now, they are shocked This Pharisee is shocked because Jesus doesn't do any of that. They're over here washing their hands. They're over making sure it goes this way and that way and not this way. And everything that they're trying to do, Jesus is not having any of it. Jesus goes to sit down at the table and pretty soon he begins to eat. And the Pharisees who looked at that couldn't believe it. They they were so shocked at his behavior. He watched him, the Pharisee, of course, who was the host, watched him very carefully. And he, of course, was checking to see that Jesus did everything right. And Jesus starts off by not doing anything right. He starts off by not doing their hand-washing ceremony at all. And the host, when he looks at him, you know what he's thinking. He's thinking, what kind of guy is this? What kind of man is this who doesn't even clean his hands in the right way? And God, you know, because Jesus is God, he's the perfect God-man. He understands what this man is thinking. He knows what his shock is, and he speaks to him. And he says, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup or the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. You act religious on the outside, but inside, you're full of all kinds of sin like greed and other wicked sins that you do. Maybe, maybe they were thinking about, maybe Jesus was reminding them of 1 Samuel 16, 7, which says, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. Jesus says, you always clean the outside of the cup, but what about your insides? What about your inner life? What's your inner life really like? I know you can wash your hands and I know you can go through this elaborate ceremony, but what's your inside like? Well, the Pharisees, one of the things that they were known for was their greed and Jesus called them on it right off. Remember, he's not trying to be politically correct. He's not trying to be diplomatic. The first thing he says is, you guys are all full of greed and wickedness. They were greedy, weren't they? Do you remember when Jesus first came in his public ministry and he came to Jerusalem? And the first thing he does is he goes into the temple. And when he gets into the temple, 
Everybody is shocked because Jesus makes some whips and he drives out the money changers who were there at the first and the, at their table is one of the first things you see. And then the people selling the animals over here, the animals that you could buy for sacrifice, the first thing that Jesus does is he turns over those tables and then he throws those guys out and he whips them on the way out. And what Jesus said to them is, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise. You've made my father's house like a den of thieves. You remember, those of you who've gone overseas, and probably, you know, every time we go to the doctor's office, they said, have you been to overseas lately? Have you been overseas in the last 30 days? No, we haven't. But one of the first things we used to do when we would go overseas was you would get off the plane, and you would go, and there would be a booth over here. And in that booth, it would be an exchange booth. And we used to go over there, and we would take our American dollars, and we would give them to the person behind the counter, and there was a rate over there for American dollars. And they would say, okay, you get so many euros for that. You get so many Hong Kong dollars. You get so many wine. You get so many uh, Mexican pesos, whatever the national currency was. The, The currency dealers were always there, and we exchanged our money to get money that we could actually spend in that country now what the Jews did was they had a different thing they set up those tables for the money changers in the temple because the people who were pilgrims who came from all over the world came in there and they wanted everybody to to uh, pay their offerings in the temple currency So they made you exchange whatever money you had, whatever currency you had that you were carrying in your wallet. And, of course, they made a profit because that's what money changers do. When you go trade at the airport or when you trade at the first place, you go in there and you say American dollars are worth this much and they always cut it a little bit because they're making a profit. And those guys that were in the money changers in the temple, they were making a profit. And the people that were selling the animals were making a profit. And you know who got a cut of all of that? The Sadducees and the Pharisees. They got a cut of what the money changers and the animal sellers got in the, in the temple. Because you see, they were greedy. And you remember how Jesus said over and over again, beware of these people because it's greed that's in their heart Jesus says you've made my father's house a house of merchandise now they were hypocritical because they were saying while we're only providing a service for the people who come from all over the world maybe they didn't bring an animal with them so we've provided a service for them by giving them an animal to offer as a sacrifice an animal that would be acceptable here in the temple. But greed was their God and they were guilty of idolatry. Jesus said, you take pains to clean the outside of the cup, but you don't cleanse the inside. I mean, can you, can you imagine what our wives and husbands would say if the person washing dishes that night cleaned the outside of the cup but left all the grounds the coffee grounds or all the the soda everything in there 
in those cups and never cleaned out the inside, never rinsed it out, never washed it, just cleaned the outside of the cup and set it on the counter. Well, we wouldn't want to drink there very often, would we? <laughs> this is what he's saying. You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but you don't take any time to clean the inside. In other words, the outside of your lives, you have all of these you have all of these things that you do, all of these ceremonies that you follow. But inside your life, you're full of greed and wickedness and corruption. That's why Jesus said in verse 41, give away your money to charity and then everything will be clean for you. He was saying, put away your excessive love of money and give generously to God's kingdom and rejoice doing it and your life will be clean before God when you get the outside to match the inside. Hypocrisy was the sin of these religious leaders. And Jesus gave them another example in verse 42. In verse 42, he said, Woe to you, Pharisees! You pay tithe of the mint and the rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these things are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He said, You aside, you. You are so careful that you tithe the mint. You're so careful that you tithe the, the little bitty things that you pull out of your herbal garden. You tithe all that. But you've neglected the love of your neighbor and you've neglected your love of God. That's a huge criticism of them, isn't it? They miss the big things. You remember when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was? Jesus often asked them back, well, what do you say it is? And they'd come up with the answer, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to that man, you're not far from the kingdom. Because you see, that was the answer. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The religious people the scribes, the Pharisees, the legalists, the theologians. He says they were neglecting the love of their neighbors. They hadn't cared for justice for their neighbors, the widows, the strangers, the poor and the needy. Remember how Jesus told that parable about the, the unjust judge who didn't care anything about the widow? He says that, that's evident of what was in the heart of the people to whom he was speaking that day. He says, you've neglected justice and you've neglected the love of God. They were always saying what they were doing for God. You know, they were the ultra obedient ones. The Pharisees were the ones that would go land and sea to make a disciple. Yet when they made a disciple, Jesus said, he's twice the son of hell that you are because you've made him so legalistic that nobody can live that way. There's no grace. The next illustration that he gives of their hypocrisy and the emptiness of their spiritual lives is in verse 43. Verse 43 says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you're like concealed tombs. He says, you want people to think that you're spiritual and that you pray long prayers and that you, you pray your long prayers out on the street corner so everybody can hear how godly you are. I remember when um, Kennedy Smart, who was one of the founding pastors of our denomination, 
Kennedy said when he was a young pastor for the pastoral prayer, he said he would always tell the Lord in the pastoral prayer all the things that he knew about God and all the things he thought he knew. He was making long prayers to tell people what he knew. He says, you make long prayers. Jesus says, you make long prayers out on the street corners. You're hypocrites. He says, your hearts are far from God. But what is the real nature of the religious leaders of that society who thought they were spiritual giants and prayed great prayers and took the respectful seats in the synagogue and wanted the honorable greetings when they went in the marketplace? He says, what are you really like? In verse 44, you're like concealed tombs that people walk over and they're unaware of it. In Jesus' day... Of course, they had all kinds of burying places, and some of the burying places weren't clearly marked. And what they did was they uh, had to they had to start whitewashing those gravestones to remind people to show people where those graves actually were. And you know, if you stepped, they didn't bury them like we did in all the nice boxes and all the nice caskets and then all the nice concrete boxes they were often just buried in the ground and when they were buried in the ground if you stepped on that gravestone and it wobbled a little bit you could see what was in the ground you could see the decaying body and Jesus says you're like those gravestones you're whitewashed on the outside but inside you're just full of corruption and dead bones and rotting flesh is it any wonder that they hated Jesus and wanted to kill him? Wanted to get rid of him? Because that's what he said about them. One of the Jewish scholars, now this guy was a, a legal scholar and he was a theologian. He would, he would probably be more in our terminology like a seminary professor. And this seminary professor comes up to Jesus and he says, when you say all these things against us, you insult us. And then what Jesus say? Woe to you lawyers. Woe to you theologians. Woe to you seminary professors. Because you weigh down men with burdens of legal obedience, but you yourselves don't even try to lift your finger to carry that burden. Now, you know what they did? They did what, what uh, legalists have always done. They... Uh, they made these extensive rules and they said these are the rules that you must follow if you're going to be if you're going to be in God's favor you've got to follow all these rules you've got to follow Sabbath rules you've got to follow hand washing rules you've got to follow all these rules and they had they had these thick books of them and when he said you've got to follow all these rules what did they do did they keep those rules and obligations no because what they did was they worked out legalistic ways to get around the rules. They worked out ways where you could avoid keeping that law by doing certain things. One of the classic things that they did was if you wanted to walk a long distance on the Sabbath, what did you have to do? Well, on the Sabbath, you know, you could, you're supposed to walk less than a mile. So on the Sabbath day, if they wanted to walk more than a mile, what they, what they would do was they would put a personal item at about three-fourths of a mile. 
And so they would walk to that personal item and say, well, this is a personal item, so it's like my home, so it's like I'm starting my trip all over again. And they would do that along for however long they wanted to go. So they worked out legalistic ways that they could obey the law, yet break the law. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, you legal scholars, all you do is you load up men and women with heavy burdens that they can't possibly keep. And then what you do is you break those very laws that you lay on everybody else. You don't keep them yourself. You make them keep them, but you don't keep them. You see, Jesus called them what they were. He called them guilty of hypocrisy. He called them to face up to their hypocrisy. And that's what he was doing at that dinner. He wasn't just trying to insult them. What Jesus was trying to do was to call them to see what they were actually doing. To face up to their hypocrisy and to face up to their sin so they could live in a right relationship to God. He wasn't just trying to insult them. He was trying to make them think and see what their reality was. So Jesus says, look how you've been acting. You act like your life is clean, but it's full of greed and wickedness. You act like you follow the law, but you have disregarded the greatest commandment of all, which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. You act like spiritual giants in the marketplaces. You take the seats of honor, but inside you're like those graves that are full of corruption and rotting flesh. You act like you care about all the prophets and the apostles, but in reality, you would have joined the fathers and you would have been the first ones to vote to get rid of them. And you remember, Paul was the same type guy because he was standing there when Stephen was giving his testimony. And when Stephen gave his testimony about faith in Jesus, Paul was standing there holding the clothes of the guys that were murdering Stephen. The Pharisees, he's saying, you guys are the first ones to kill the prophets and those sent from God. Jesus ended his comments on their hypocrisy by saying, these sins are going to have to be brought to judgment. In verse 50, he said this, so that the blood of the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. In other words, they all knew that a day was coming, that judgment was going to have to come. Jesus had said earlier in the chapter, the queen of the south will rise up on the last day, on the day of judgment, to condemn the men of this generation. He also said the men of Nineveh will stand up on the last day to condemn this generation. Jesus is reminding them that there is a last day and that judgment is going to come and that judgment would even have to come for their sins. Those who thought that they were the spiritual giants of the generation. And Jesus is saying, judgment is going to have to come for your sins. You know, down deep, all of us know that, don't we? We know that judgment has to come. We know that there has to be, if there is a God, that he has to be a just God. Because all of us have feelings inside of us that, that cry out for justice. Non-Christians are Christians alike. Because when someone takes your money out of your bank account through identity theft and fraud, every one of us would cry for justice, wouldn't we? 
We want justice. We want somebody somewhere to find those people and get our money back. And when someone gets drunk and runs a stoplight and totals your car, you want justice. You want justice against that person that hit you. You want justice to take place for that person who's ruined your life and maybe put you in the hospital. If we're honest, though, the day of judgment ought to scare us. Because, you know, we know that we deserve judgment. All of us are guilty about something, whether it's letting a friend down, telling something that wasn't true, cutting things our way, spinning it our way when we talk to our friends, hurting others, lying, cheating, stealing. We don't look forward to the coming righteous judgment if we're honest, do we? But perhaps the people of Jesus' day were just like us. But what they didn't understand and what they couldn't comprehend and what they couldn't possibly take in was that God was going to do something about the final judgment. He was going to do something about judgment itself. He was going to do something about judgment himself, itself that nobody would ever expect. God was going to do what no one could conceive of about judgment because instead of judgment for our sins falling on our heads, God was going to let judgment fall on the head of somebody else. The judgment for our sins, though, didn't fall on the head of a criminal who deserved punishment and who deserved to be crushed. The judgment for our sins fell on the most perfect, loving, faithful person who ever lived, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. The judgment for our sins fell upon Jesus on the cross so that he himself paid for our sins by allowing himself to take all of our sins. He became sin for us, the scripture says, so that everything that we are in sin, all of our sins fell upon him. You know, it was a way that God was taking the judgment on himself because it was his son, his only son, that was dying. And he and that son were one. You remember Jesus said, I and the Father are one. They were one in purpose. They're the same substance, equal in power and glory, our confession tells us. So God is suffering for us. He's taking the judgment upon himself. It's not the they expected the judgment to fall upon them. They did. But God said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to allow this judgment to fall on me. Sin had to be paid for. And Jesus came to let that judgment and that curse of our sins fall upon him. Can you conceive of a love greater than that? Where are you going to find a love like that? Only in God. Only in Jesus, our Savior. So don't be like the people of Jesus' time who failed to see that great prophet that was among them. You remember Jesus said, the people of Nineveh repented when Jonah preached, but you people are turning your back on me. The queen of the south came and she listened to the wisdom of Solomon, but somebody greater than Solomon is standing right there in front of you. Are you listening to him? Don't be like the Pharisees and the legalists who wanted to kill Jesus. 
who acted religious on the outside, but inside were full of greed and corruption. Remember, Jesus came to seek and save sinners like us. He came to seek and save sinners like us. So what's our calling? Daily repentance. That we repent of our hypocrisy and our spiritual emptiness when we're that way. When somebody calls us and they're right, they call us on something and they're right, we need to repent, don't we? We need to repent of our spiritual, of our hypocrisy and spiritual emptiness and run to the Savior who gave up everything for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this one who lived for us who died for us, who gave up everything for us. We thank you that you gave up your son so that we could be set free from our sin and guilt. We thank you and we love you and we praise you for all that you're doing in him and in and through us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.